Hey everybody, and welcome to Man on the Silver Mountain. As most of you know, I've been away for the last uh, month plus, and I uh, just got back off uh, off of tour, so um, I figured I'd knock one of these out before I start back with having guests uh, get this out of the way, and um, you know, something for you guys to listen to after this long break. And I apologize to you guys, especially the Patreon subscribers. Um, My intention was to possibly uh, broadcast a few of these from the road, but that didn't work out. But, you know, in the future, it's something I'm going to try to do because part of the gig here is uh, travel and touring and running around the country like a maniac. So, you know, I'm going to try to get some, uh, some content out there to you guys. Uh, so I guess we'll start off by, uh, once again, I thank everyone who subscribes on Patreon. Um, I've been posting a bunch of goodies up there, uh, some unavailable tracks, some, uh, you know, tombs material that's, uh, you know, there's stuff on YouTube such as, uh, the David Bowie cover. Um, other stuff I have on deck is a Rorschach cover of the song, uh, Depress by Rorschach. It's a tombs cover of the Rorschach song called Depress. A number of years ago, um, we recorded this track. It was going to be part of some kind of tribute that I believe uh, WFMU was going to do, and um, nothing ever happened with it, so I'm not sure what the status was. But I got this track. I love Rorschach. <clears throat> I think the track came out really well. It features Garrett Bussinick on lead guitar, who... Uh, played on Savage Gold and is uh, currently no longer in the band. But uh, you can hear some of his uh, cool soloing and all that sort of jazz. And uh, yeah, that track was a lot of fun. Uh, we recorded it at Brendan Tobin's studio over in Park Slope. Went, in, went down there one day, knocked it all out one afternoon. He mixed it, and there you go. So that's going to be up and available for Patreon subscribers uh, pretty soon. Also, there's a pair of Samhain covers we did a couple of years ago. Uh, one of them, uh, Kiss of Steel, is appearing on the Triple X fanzine uh, book that Mike Gitter put out. Um, I think it's available. Uh, it might have just come out, uh, or if it's available for pre-order. I don't know. I've been away for a while, so a lot of this stuff, all this current events, uh, what's available, what's released, is like just starting to catch up with me right now. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Mike Gitter... He's a, a mainstay in the extreme music world. He's been an A&R guy at a variety of different labels. Uh, he worked at Roadrunner for the heyday of its uh, existence in the 90s, you know, back when Roadrunner had Sepultura, Typo Negative, like those types of bands, Life of Agony. Uh, he worked there throughout all those years. And over the last couple of years, uh, he worked over at Century Media, where I believe he still, he still resides and um, but prior to all that, Zine was a bo- uh, Zine, yeah. Gitter was a Boston hardcore guy all through the '80s, and he did a Zine called Triple X, and it's pretty much encapsulated um, that entire era of the early to mid '80s, which, in my opinion, and this opinion is shared by many people, is kind of the uh, the golden age of American hardcore. So. Um, He's got photos, uh, interviews, and different pieces about all of those, you know, crucial bands like Black Flag, Sam Hain, 
you know, TSOL, uh, the agnostic front, Chromags, DYS, SSD control, you know, all the bands you can imagine from that era, you know, the Necros, all that stuff. It's all in this book. And um, he showed me a copy of it a few weeks ago, and it looks great. It's killer photos, like some rare stuff, great interviews. And uh, a companion to that is a record that is releasing with a variety of different bands doing covers. So Tombs did, um, well, we went to record actually two songs. We did Kiss of Steel, which appears on the Triple X fanzine companion record. And just for the hell of it, uh, we did Mother of Mercy, which is one of my favorite Sam Haynes songs. And um, that exists on the internet. You can check out a YouTube clip. But uh, that, that track's going to be made available for everyone, too. And, uh, you know, there's like some live stuff from Europe. Um, one of the plans we have as a band is since there's a bunch of new personnel involved, we're going to be re-recording uh, just, just for the hell of it, because some of the songs have changed, just some choice cuts from the band's uh, catalog. So, you know, we're going to, you know, for example, Path Totality, play completely different now. You play it a lot faster. Uh, I think I changed around some of the lyrics. So we're going to record a brand new version of some of these songs. You know, I guess it's kind of how like suicidal re-recorded, um, you know, institutionalized and all that kind of stuff. Maybe not. Maybe not exactly like that. But uh, but yeah, just to kind of update some of that material. Um, and anyway, that stuff's not going to be released officially at least, but it will be released to you Patreon subscribers. And um, so yeah, any of anyone out there who doesn't know what it is, it's a way for you to support this podcast by donating as little as $1. And uh, you know, we got a couple of guys up there. And once again, man, mad respect to you all. And I appreciate it. And um it motivates me to keep rocking and rolling and get all this stuff out there on a regular basis. And, uh, yeah, this tour really, really, as, as you'll find out in the next few minutes, uh, the tour was great overall, but it was very physically and mentally taxing. And, um, you know, the schedule just didn't permit for things like podcasting and, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of jam. So anyway, if you want to get involved in Patreon. Just head on over to everythingwentblackmedia.com and there's a, there's a link there. It's a pop-up that says if you want to support the podcast and it takes you to the Patreon page that we have. Or if you're a Facebook person, uh, the Patreon link is pinned to the top of the Everything Went Black Facebook page. And, uh, you know, once again, it just makes things easier. It helps pay for the bandwidth. Uh, you know, in my profile on Patreon, I have laid out a pretty, uh, you know, specific plan of what I want to do with the funds, such as upgrading some equipment, um, you know, trying to do more video content. And since I know zero about shooting and editing, uh, most likely I'm going to have to hire somebody to work with me. So that's kind of the, the bottom line with a lot of this stuff is, uh, just trying to keep things moving forward, upgrade, step into the future, become more ambitious, and just keep uh, putting out great stuff for you guys. 
If you don't want to do anything with Patreon, totally cool. Another way you can help out is just by leaving reviews on iTunes or telling your friends, you know, um, that's like uh, one of the best things you can do and say, hey, man, it's a cool podcast, you know, you like tombs, you like uh, all kinds of different stuff, martial arts, listening to me rant for 45 minutes, check out this podcast. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's another way you can help out. Uh, so yeah, um, <clears throat> been back for a few days. Uh, the tour was great. It feels like I've been gone for six months, but, uh, I've only been gone for about maybe five weeks or so. And, uh, <laughs> while I was gone, my landlord invited me to, uh, vacate the apartment um, because as a lot of you know, I sublet this place out when I'm on the road and, um, you know, her whole thing was like, yeah, you don't have a lease here. Uh, in the last 12 months you've subletted for five months and no one knows who lives in the apartment. <clears throat> At least that's what she claims. So I was like, you know what, man, I think it's time for me to go. I'm not going to fight it. This place is kind of a hellhole. You've heard me complain about Greenpoint, and um, so yeah, it's time to, to move. So I spent the better part of today boxing up a lot of my stuff. Uh, you know, today was like the first full day of packing, so uh, yeah, that stuff's always emotional. Even though I fucking hate this place, and I want to get out of here, and it's one of the best moves I could be making to improve my overall quality of life, it's still kind of like, you know, you think about all the good times, you know, you had here. Like most of the podcasts I've recorded right here in this room, um, with the exception of a few of the earlier episodes, the entire um, catalog of episodes has, has happened here. You know, even just if I edit it, all the work has done, was done in this room. The birth of Savage Gold Coffee had happened here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, one of those things. Like I, I knew these two guys when I was in high school, uh, you know, they were a year ahead of me and I'm not going to mention any names in case anyone, you know, I just don't want to like call anyone out or anything, but there's these two guys. I played football with them. Um, you know, they, they were seniors when I was a junior. So after graduation, uh, most people go on to college or, you know, join the military or, you know, get some kind of job. You know, the, I, I noticed there is like these two factions of people who left town immediately and then people who just kind of lingered in my hometown of Lake Carmel, New York, or Carmel, New York, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so my senior year, I remember these two guys were part of that group that kind of lingered around. So they were, you know, 18, 19 years old, uh, probably got a job doing construction or, you know, something. But I noticed uh, at the end of the day, these guys would be, you know, hanging out in the parking lot at the high school uh, playing basketball and, you know, probably had girlfriends that were seniors and, you know, just kind of lingering and I guess that's how I feel about living in this apartment and maybe living in this neighborhood or maybe even living in New York altogether is that you know, these two guys had their time. They had their, their glory days of high school football and, 
you know, banging cheerleaders and, uh, you know, just living that carefree lifestyle of teenagers. And when it was time to step up and move into the next phase of their life, they couldn't quite let go of those golden years. And, you know, I acknowledge that a lot of people, uh, some of the best, the best years of their lives were those, those years of high school, you know, unfortunately. So, I think about those two guys whenever I, I feel like I'm stuck or I'm, I'm not working hard enough towards moving on. So I guess in a way, me leaving the apartment uh, is part of that. Um, you know, for years, I look back at my journal and I see how much I hate living here. And, and you know, you know, I, I can, there's a litany of reasons why I should leave. It's too expensive, number one. There's always bugs here. Number two, my landlords are half-assed with the way that they fix things around here. My windows don't close, which creates a huge problem in the winter and an equally big problem in the summer because I get devoured by mosquitoes because, of course, there's standing water everything everywhere outside of my, my building. Um, you know, and then also there's, like, annoying people that moved in. There's, like, Chicken George next door who... Uh, has like a chicken coop, you know, there's like the partiers, the 35-year-old teenagers that live behind me that rage into all hours of the night. Um, it's just a drag overall. And maybe my higher conscience, my, my unconscious self was putting, putting steps together for me to sort of expedite the process of me leaving because I wasn't consciously doing enough to, um, to move forward. So, you know, when my landlord called me and she's like, you know, what's, what the hell's going on? Like, you know, you know, are you going to live here or are you going to not live here? I was like, yeah, you know, I think I should, I think I should get the fuck out of here. So here I am packing everything up. I got until the end of the month, um, you know, I got some options about what I'm going to do moving forward. I haven't really decided on where I'm going to be able to reside. It's going to be something temporary at first. But uh, overall, I think it's good. I think this is like a learning growth experience for me, and uh, I'm pretty stoked on it. Anyway, the tour. I'm assuming that some of you out there uh, may have been at some of these shows. But they were, they were all great. They are fun. The first uh, leg of the tour was with our old pals, 1349 and Goat Whore. Two excellent bands and uh, really great people. And every night was awesome. It was like uh, pretty much a sprint from Atlanta, Georgia to San Bernardino, California, where both bands were appearing in the OzFest meets NotFest weekend of shows. Great times, a hell of a lot of driving, and I guess that's kind of the tone that was set for the whole tour. Many over, many overnight drives, which after you know three or four days of uh, waking up in a moving vehicle and sleeping in the van, um, it kind of chews you up a little bit. So you know, there's there's uh, kind of starting off in that exhaustion zone. Um, so that first run with 1349 and Goat Horror was, was killer. Uh, playing OzFest was a real trip. Uh, you know, I never, 
you know, first of all, I kind of didn't even realize that that still existed as something. Um, and I remember back in the day, you know, Ozfest was a traveling tour, and I, I know that a lot of bands that I really like, uh, such as Neurosis and um, you know a bunch of other bands, have played Ozfest, and uh, I didn't realize. I thought they stopped doing it. Actually, you know, I'm gonna be honest about that. But uh, yeah, we got we got the call to do it. And um, it, all this great touring was put up together around that. And it, w- it was just a real honor to do that, to be inc- included in, in something like this, where there's a lot of great bands playing. Uh, you know, we played during the day. It was fun. You know, it was kind of interesting to get everything done before the afternoon is over. You know, it's like 1.30 and we're, we're done. You know, the work for the day is completed. So we just got to hang out, you know, walk around, check out some of the other bands that played, you know, 1349 played later in the day. Um, I met Josh Barnett in person, which was, was pretty sick, uh, huge fan of his. He, as, as you know, he was a guest on the podcast and I've interviewed him for, um, you know, an article I did in Revolver, a couple pieces actually that I did in Revolver involving Josh. And um, I always wanted to meet him in person. And, you know, he was pretty much exactly the way I figured he would be. Just this, like, friendly guy, very articulate. Um, One of the things uh, that was really impressive is his handshake was, like, you know, shaking hands with, like, a bronze statue or something like that. And uh, when he went to hug me, it was that's when I realized that this dude is like a powerful, you know, Nordic barbarian. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, you know, a lot of you guys know I fuck around in the gym doing some kickboxing and jujitsu and wrestling. And, you know, I'm not not a stranger to combat sports, but, you know, a guy like Josh Barnett is on a totally different level. And I got to feel that power when he when he embraced me. So, uh, yeah, it was cool. I had a great time. Um, got to see the Deftones. Uh, I'd never seen them, never seen them before all these years. And, uh, it was, it was cool. I mean, I, I never, I'm going to be come clean once again. I was never a fan all through the nineties, which was, I guess, considered a lot of, you know, that was like their heyday. Like they had that big record white pony came out. And, uh, at the time I just wasn't hearing that kind of music. I wasn't receptive to that and it's only been like within the last maybe four or five years that i've uh paid attention to the deftones so the first time and maybe the only time i'll see them was at ozfest in front of like a california crowd and uh, people were really really excited to see them and that was really cool to see them do their thing in front of what i'm going to call a hometown crowd even though San Bernardino and Sacramento are two different places, but, you know, it's a Cali, this sort of Cali vibe pervaded everything. And um, I missed Prophets of Rage, which wasn't intentional, but, you know, you're on your feet all day. Uh, You know, my knees hurt and I just needed to, like, hydrate and get some food. And uh I ended up missing Prophets of Rage, which is Rage Against the Machine with uh, Chuck D singing or rapping or whatever you want to call it. And I believe, I believe there's some like Cypress Hill guys are involved. And, 
you know, it's that kind of trip, you know, just hip hop, funk, metal thing, which I don't even know if uh, they have an album out or what their deal is, but it sounded like something I'd wanted to check out at least because I'm a huge Chuck D fan. Then it was time to see Ozzy, and um, at the very least, it was complicated. You know, being, you know, Sabbath and being one of my all-time favorite bands, I have nothing but respect for the man. Uh, you know, he is an architect of heavy metal, the genre of music that I've been embracing for most of my life. And uh, so, yeah, he, you know, there's a lot of reverence when it comes to Ozzy Osbourne. And, um, you know, I, I like most of his post-Sabbath material, the concentration being on the first two records that feature Randy Rose and just that lineup, you know, with Tommy Aldridge on drums and, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes and the, the touring, you know, uh, uh, Randy, uh, that's, uh, Rudy Sarzo being the touring bass player. And, uh, I can't remember the, the, the guy who actually plays bass on the records is like, uh, kind of Peter Daisley or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, those two records were killer because it was like, it felt like a band. Like it felt like, um, it was like this real creative thing that went on sort of anchored by the brilliance of Randy Rhodes. You know, and the last, you know, 30 some odd years of records that Ozzy's put out, there's definitely, I mean, I have most of them. There's definitely gems here and there, certain things that I'm just not that into either like when he gets into the ballads and all that that's just something that i just can't get down with but um you know a pretty illustrious um career you know filled with a lot of material that you know charted and was popular and people loved so it's with a little a bit of sadness that you know, I experienced what seemed to me, uh, I'm trying to put this in a reverential way, but a guy who probably should not be performing anymore up there, trying to fulfill an obligation that he agreed to do. That's what it felt like to me. Um, I mean, it was fun. You know, Zach Wilde played and uh, Zach probably carried the show if it was maybe a different type of guitar player up there the set would not have gone over as well as it did because you know zach is this like super flashy uh guitar player who was i think obviously deeply inspired by randy rhodes's uh, style and um you know it was a lot of fun to see zach wild rip solos uh you know sort of in places that may or may not have been appropriate, um, you know, in Sabbath songs, for example, there's, you know, a clear delineated spot where Tony Iommi would drop a solo, but Zach Wilde was taking a lot of license when it came to placement of his solos. So anyway, it, it was fun though. You know, I, I had a great time and, you know, I didn't try to take everything, anything too seriously. And, uh, Apparently, the next day, Ozzy uh, announced his official retirement, which, um, you know, is going to entail, like, I guess, a European tour. There's, there's some additional obligations he has to fulfill. But I, I got to be honest, I kind of wish that, um, you know, wish him the best, obviously. But 
it's definitely time for him to, um, you know, call it a day with performing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, it's not to say that when you get old, you can't still rock and roll, you know, to paraphrase uh, Jethro Tull record. But uh, I think maybe after a life led in the manner that Ozzy led his life, it might be more difficult as time advances to continue being as prolific and to perform with the same level of vigor when you were, when he was younger. So, so with that, you know, I'm just, that's my, my breakdown of the Ozzy set. Glad I saw it, you know, it was a, you know, it was great. It was an honor to be part of the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, um, you know, stoked about it. We actually stu- stuck around the second day, which was the not fest day. Uh, you know, Godor played on that day and, uh, you know, I got to see Testament and, you know, Death Angel, uh, Exhumed played on the extreme stage. Um, and I think I'm obviously forget, oh, Life of Agony played and that, that kind of brought out my inner Guido when I was watching them play. Uh, at the headliners of the Not Fest day were uh, Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie, and uh, you know, not not a big fan, or actually not a fan at all of either one of those guys. <laughs> I um, I don't. I mean, I've heard their music. Obviously, I um, know White Zombie. If I was to I'm going to say that maybe the early White Zombie material is a little more palatable. I I actually have uh, Make Them Die Slowly, and um, I think I believe Soul Crusher was a, the EP that came out prior to that. And they were a much different band back then, um, kind of more on this kind of dancing, you know, hard rock, like heavy rock kind of thing. And... Um, an interesting side note is that uh, a former high school classmate of mine uh, played in an early incarnation of White Zombie before they became massive. And also, um, an interesting fact, too, is back in the 80s in Boston, there was a band called Slaughter Shack, which were similar to what you know White Zombie was doing. It was like this kind of heavy, uh, you know, metal blues hard rock kind of thing like with a little bit of a bluesy thing but like a much more just like an overall sinister sort of take on it you know having seen slaughter shack perform twice in my life and being familiar with their recorded output it was apparent that the band was like influenced by you know sabbath uh you know danzig you know misfits sam hayne um, all the good stuff, Black Flag, you know, Metallica. But they kind of had, you know, in, in the late, in the 80s, there was thrash metal was like everything, you know, like Boston, you know, Boston thrash band, Wargasm, Seika, like those bands were in the forefront of, uh, you know, actually, you know, popularity. And Slaughter Shack was slow, kind of mid-tempo, um, like I said, very Danzig, vibe like first two danzig records uh my you know i've been told and i don't you know once again man today's episode i'm just like chilling talking off the top of my head you know not really fact checking anything so some of this information might be a little shaky but i've been told that slaughter shack 
oftentimes went down to New York City to play with uh, White Zombie, and maybe they might have been an influence on White Zombie's musical style. It seems like that could be a possibility. Uh, unfortunately, White Zombie got the tap on the shoulder to fame and fortune, and Slaughter Shack remained this like obscure band that not very many people know about. Uh, I mean, Colin Burns, the singer of of uh, Slaughter Shack, went on to go on and, and play in another one of my favorite bands, La Gratona. Another equally obscure band that has influenced a lot of other bands that very few people even know about outside of Boston. Um, and he did great things in that band. I mean, I, I think I think Burns is a uh, fantastic frontman, a very creative person. He's a painter. Um, you know, I, I've looked up to him. You know, he's a he was a well more definitely more established at the time he was doing all this stuff. I mean, I wasn't even playing, I was barely playing in bands at that point. You know, I was like, you know, hoping one day to be able to put something together. And here's this dude like killing it on stage, doing something that I consider to be very unique. And uh, he just looks so fucking cool too. You know, there was like the Slaughter Shack version where he's got the long hair, like more or less biker metal kind of vibe. And then there was like the the La Gratona version of of him, which was like, you know, this kind of you know, shirtless, short haired, tattooed, um, very stylishly dressed guy. Uh very just unique. Like I I can't describe exactly by comparing it to anything. Um, you know, Burns as a singer, you know, you can hear, you know, Rollins. John Brannon, uh, you know, sort of negative approach and laughing hyenas influences and maybe his vocal style, you know, and like a little bit of a Nick Cave kind of thing at times. But all of that was laid over uh, just some of the most, you know, abrasive, harsh, uh, metallic, yet punk music you know and and the music of la gratona is like very difficult to describe with relation to when that band actually existed like really there weren't any bands doing anything exactly like what they were doing you know people can say that oh yeah you know there was unsane there was um you know uh some of the amrep bands like today is a day were around at that time but it wasn't exactly like that, you know. It was it was way more of a punk thing, a punk hardcore thing, mixed with this like very discordant, um, you know, sort of noise rock, which I hate that term, but you know, noisy metal thing. And um, so yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's like a really big tangent to describe that. Rob Zombie played at Knotfest, but anyway, I, I don't like Rob Zombie's music. Um, I really wanted to stick around and just check out the spectacle. I hate Rob Zombie's movies, with the exception of uh, you know maybe maybe uh, that the witch movie he made, the um, Witches of Salem or whatever the hell it's called. Um, 
the only reason I really like that one is because it's a ripoff of European horror. And, you know, but of course he injected his brand of uh, white trash uh, chic into it. But yeah, I'm not a fan of his movies. I've gotten hate mail as a result of that. Um, literally, people have, from my other podcast primarily, the Necromaniacs podcast, which I do with Mike Scandato, um, yeah, I, I routinely slam zombies output. And uh, as a result of that, the consequences uh, are you know people direct messaging me on Twitter and Facebook and telling me that, you know, I don't know, you know, threatening me, saying disparaging things towards me, that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm sure my opinion doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect Rob Zombie. But, you know, I watched about maybe Zombie was the headliner. Marilyn Manson went on before him, and I watched maybe half of Marilyn Manson's set. Uh, I wasn't aware that he had suffered some kind of accident and his legs were broken or ankles or whatever. But, you know, they came out, this big intro, everything sounded good, you know. It was like this big professional stage setup and all these dudes, you know, just look really cool on stage and theatrical and all this, like, you know, fog machine, that kind of, all that jazz was happening. But then Manson comes out on this um, motorized cart, which... Uh, you know, I thought initially he was trying to do some kind of like Gary Newman, like cars kind of thing, but it turned out that um, he just couldn't. He did that because he couldn't walk, and uh, I thought that was kind of like a, you know, a very ballsy thing to do. You know, to go out on stage and you know play when you're you're all fucked up like that. So I give him credit for that, but yeah, I just. Um, you know, I've read interviews with him and I've heard him on different radio shows and whatnot. And, and he just seems like a cool guy. And, you know, I, he's got cool ideas about stuff, but I just don't like the music. I mean, I just, I just can't get down with, uh, with what he's doing, you know, musically, that is. So I had to bail. I was getting really bored. And um, we all decided that we were going to drive. Uh, we we're going to leave the, the grounds and, and drive to, uh, to LA to drop off somebody at the airport. And, uh, we were dropping off Kevin, our, our merch guy, cause he had to go home for a few days. He had some uh, business to take care of and he left the tour for a couple of days. So we dropped KSP off at the airport and we missed Rob Zombie's set. And we just, uh, started driving West cause the way this tour was routed, we had that first ra first run of dates with uh, Goat Horror thirteen forty nine. Then there was like five days or so um, where to kill basically before we had to start the second leg of the tour with Crowbar in San Antonio, Texas. So we were kind of just driving back and forth across the Southwest for a few days. You know, we drove out to L.A. We drove back to. Uh, I don't know. I guess Mesa was the next day, Arizona. Played a show there. It was pretty pretty slow. That was the same night as Black Dahlia Murder playing in the same town. And I'm sure all the kids would rather go see that, which is totally cool. But did a show. Then uh, actually we started hitting some severe van issues involving our cooling system and uh, – 
I learned a lot about the cooling system of vans and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was kind of, kind of nerve wracking cause it, it kind of plagued us. You know, there was a coolant leak, which no one was able to find. We took it to several different mechanics. They pressure tested it. They were like, yeah, there's, you guys are low. You have to keep an eye on the coolant level, but we don't know where it's going. Maybe it's a leak that only happens when the system's under pressure or something like that. So before that, we actually canceled the show in Albuquerque. Um, we stayed in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona overnight, which was kind of fun, actually. Um, and then uh, we started our trek towards uh, Texas. And uh, the next show was in Fort Worth. So we had a long-ass drive. After having, uh, having the van looked at, and the guy's like, all right, well, just topped you off with your coolant. You guys should be good to go for a while. About halfway through that journey, we started having issues again with low coolant. Uh, you know, the van was in like, uh, you know, this sort of reduced power. And we had to finish the last leg of that journey doing about 50 miles an hour across the desert. So, yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking. And um, yeah, that, kind of, that problem was never really resolved. But yeah, the second leg of the tour, Crowbar was great. I, um, you know, it's, you know, Kirk Winstein is, is, uh, a lifer, you know, a lot. I feel like I know the New Orleans thing now, you know, after being out with Goat Whore and after spending a lot of time with Kirk and Robin Winstein and the rest of the guys in Crowbar, you know, I, I, and I've been a fan of all of those bands, you know, Crowbar, I Hate God, Soylent Green, Goat Whore, Acid Bath, you know, uh, you know, there's a band called Harp that's from, that's from New Orleans. That's, that's pretty sick too. And, uh, there's like a, it's very unique thing that all of those bands do, and there's a unique approach, and um, I've grown to really appreciate it these last you know month and a half or so being out on the road with these guys. But yeah, it was a it was a great tour. Um, Crowbar had been on the road quite a bit this year, and this was just kind of like a year end wrap up, going through some markets, you know, that a lot of bands don't really hit uh so we were playing some out of the way places such as toledo ohio kent clarksville tennessee you know bloomington or blooming blooming bloomington illinois uh you know fucking i never heard of any of these towns but you know nonetheless we went there i think the we were playing pretty good i think the shows went over pretty well um you know, it was just a good run. And, you know, the last night of the tour in, uh, in Tennessee, we had a cookout, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And, um, like I said, you know, it's the Winsteins are, are lifers and I feel really fortunate to have been able to travel with them and get to know those guys. And, uh, also on the tour, um, we, we had Insight and, uh, Tri-County Terror, these two bands and uh we got to be really good friends with the uh the dudes in insight and um you know yeah after the after you get home you have you go through this withdrawal period of you know a little slight depression of being home and not being out on the road not seeing the same people you know you go through this kind of weird you know you say your goodbyes on that last day and then you know you don't see them anymore you don't see the guy the next day that you've seen for the last 
20 something days. So it's, it's a little bit of a head trip to be home, you know, and, um, you know, especially for me, I, mean, I come home and I got to deal with all this moving, you know, business and, you know, I, I don't have like the most set schedule. Um, so there's a little bit of that sort of messing around with my stability here. Another big happening on this tour was the death of Charles Manson. You know, I'd, we'd read, read on, online that Manson was possibly in danger of dying, and he was uh, suffering, you know, from just, you know, fucking old age. And I remember we played our set in Eugene, and once we got off the stage and, uh, you know, we were got, you know, sort of hung out, this dude came up to me and he's like, man, like, during your set, I just got the, ner- the news that Charles Manson died. You know, and it's like, I know that you're, you know, you reference Charles Manson a lot. I've heard interviews you, with you and you talk about, you know, Manson and all this sort of stuff. And I know that, you know, your old band covered a Manson song and all that. And it's just like, it's, it's so weird that he died like during your set. And like, whether or not he actually died during our set or the guy just found out about his death is kind of like, you know, irrelevant, but the sentiment is there. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's. I'm not going to say that I'm a fan of Charles Manson. That's not true. I believe that you know, human life is is uh, more or less, you know, precious in, in a in a very immediate way. Um, I mean, in a universal way, I think human life is meaningless. But in a person to person context, I don't want to see people get murdered, especially over some stupid ideology. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, the Manson family deserves to be, you know, behind bars, you know, Manson though is not a hands-on executor of any of these people, uh, I believe has played a very crucial role in the manipulation of these young people into murdering, you know, the Sharon Tate, Lino LaBianca and his wife, you know, and, and that whole caper you know i believe that the the right people were put in jail now the interesting thing about charles manson is that if he had just killed if if the manson family had killed say an auto mechanic and a uh, a couple that was like one dude was like maybe like a banker or you know a bank teller and his wife was a secretary that story would have been on maybe the front page for the first day and then would have just retreated into obscurity and no one would remember it. It would be, you know, the same way that only only people who follow this kind of thing know who Ed Kemper is or Richard Speck. I think Manson and the Tex Watson and, you know, all these other, you know, people involved in the murders would have been... Re, you know, relegated to being obscure curiosities of people that are into reading about serial murder, you know, or mass murder, or in his case, you know, mass murder, I guess. I don't know. The fact that the murders took place in Hollywood and Sharon Tate was a movie star and, uh, you know, all this like L.A. 
Hollywood show business was involved is the reason why, you know, Manson became, you know, this, this boogeyman. I mean, yeah, there are definitely other people out there who have done way more heinous crimes than him, but you don't even know who the hell they are. So that, that's the fascination with Manson. That's like why I am interested in the case. The same reason why I like to read true crime and the, why, the same reason why I read James Elroy novels is because I have a morbid fascination with crime and murder and what drives people to do these things. And um, you, know, you take the whole lore of Manson with uh, you know, alleged ties to the process church of final judgment you know, um, all the conspiracy stuff, you know, the fact that he made records, the fact that he has some of the best one-liners out there, and, you know, the cottage industry that has sort of formed around him, you know, since his incarcerations, you know, people writing books, movies, you know, the the Jim Van Beber biopic about Manson, which is I guess I share the same viewpoint that he does, is that it's a fascinating story, but I don't, like, idolize or, you know, elevate any of the people involved in the actual crimes because, you know, for anyone out there who, if you ever meet a criminal, they definitely seem like a different person. You know, if anyone's ever been exposed to the, uh, the, the prison system, you know, it's a different type of human being. And, and that's kind of how, you know, my, my fascination ends conceptually with the Manson, you know, family and, and the stories behind it. It's just an interesting thing. You know, the, all the imagery and stuff is, is very fascinating to me. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in the 90s when I had a little bit more of a nihilistic viewpoint on the world, you know, I might have, like, you know, some of the philosophies put forth might have been like a little bit more of a, a little bit of an influence to me because my mind was a little bit more receptive to the darker side of stuff. So, but yeah, it's, it's an end of an era, you know, it's, it's an end of an era. Um, you know, he's that whole mythology around him that's existed in our consciousness is now ended. So, you know, in, on a historical sense, it's, um, you know, it's sort of like a meaningful, you know, milestone, if you will. But, um, but yeah, you know, feels like the holidays are happening after being gone for so long. You come back, things are different. And uh, that's always a tripped out thing from being on tour. You know, you're existing inside this pressurized container propelling yourself forward through time and space and your ideas of quote unquote home are these sort of slow glass captured images that you don't really understand as changing. So when you come back from the long journey, suddenly things are different. It's a different season when you get back. Uh, You know, people that, used to work in your favorite grocery store, no longer work there. There's like a new unfamiliar person there. You know, the, the trees don't have leaves on them anymore. It's colder. And I can't, I have to be honest with you guys, I'm not feeling the holiday spirit 
you know, I got a lot, a lot of obstacles in front of me. You know, the end of the year is always a little depressing. I think ever since I graduated from college, I've looked at the holidays, specifically Christmas, as a little bit kind of like a heavier time of year. And like, uh, you know, it's, um, it's just not the same. It's for kids. And since I don't have kids, it's not something I really ever get up for. You know, the end of the year, holidays, I'm not a big, you know, partier, so New Year's Eve isn't really my kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a heavy vibe that I'm feeling these days. Later on today, I'm uh, going to have Zev Deans as a guest. Again, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, going over to his place this time around. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see about the quality. I'm bringing my portable player with me. I'm going to try a couple of different things. But, uh, but yeah, Zev uh, is going to be the next actual guest. So you guys uh, stay tuned for that. It'll probably be, it might even go up the same day this goes up. So we'll see. But yeah, he's, he's got a bunch of really cool projects going on. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. So once again, thanks for listening. Um, if you're interested in this, check out the Patreon, you know, subscribe. One dollar will get you all of the, all of the benefits here. You know, there's different tiers, but you know what, honestly, I just kind of give everyone the same shit. I don't really care if you want to put five in, you want to put a dollar it's all, it's up to you, man. And I don't want, I don't want to be like, well, the $5 guy gets this. I just make it available for everyone. And, um, you know, whatever you can, uh, take that as you will. Um, let's see, we got on it. I forgot to mention them in the beginning of the podcast, but, uh, on it is, uh, our affiliate sponsor. And if you're into strength and conditioning, um, you know, fitness, nutrition, check out the links on everythingwentblackmedia.com and it will take you to a portal where you can buy uh, all these products, you know, vitamins, exercise equipment, that kind of stuff, kettlebells. And um, I get a little cut of that, you know, which is nice. You know, not much, but a little bit helps. Every little bit helps around here. Savage Gold Coffee, I forgot to plug that. You guys have to bear with me. This is my first co- you know, podcast back from being out on the road. SavageGoldCoffee.com. I ran a Black Friday sale. Thank you to everyone out there, and I mean everyone who ordered. Um, really great. Appreciate the support. Um, I have to restock. I'm hoping to get more in before the holidays, but that, uh, that sale kind of cleaned me out and my new relationship with Amazon is also keeping on my, me on my toes. So keeping things in stock these days is a little bit more of an effort. But yeah, if you want, if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you can buy Savage Gold on Amazon. There you go. Once again, you can find me on Instagram as Mike underscore Hill underscore Primate. You know, a lot of tour stuff is on there. Uh, I'm going to be getting back into training, so maybe there'll be some training stuff, you know, just, just, you know, random stuff, you know, it's like my kind of catch-all Instagram. It's Mike Hill HQ at Twitter, Michael Hill on Facebook, and Everything Went Black on Facebook, so you can check that out too. 
And um, yeah, so if you like this, subscribe on iTunes, give us a review, and uh, that's it. Thank you very much, and I have to head over to Zev soon, so everyone have a great weekend.
Oh, this 